gentlemen, um, don't forget, there's uh, a retreat for us dude types. Um, not this weekend, but the next weekend. So um, jump on in there. Uh, you know, um, it, is, it is certainly a truism that men, uh, they don't make very uh, many friendships. And uh, this is a chance for you to, I don't know, m- maybe not make lasting friendships, but meet, meet some people, you know, and note some names, which would be uh, quite a, an improvement. Uh, let's go back to the book of Galatians, if you will, um, if I can find my glasses. Um, l- let me read you. Um, <clears throat> um, I- I'm going to begin reading. This is um, in, in, the, in a paragraph, really a couple of paragraphs, where Paul is giving his testimony. We're going to talk about that more later, but... Um, I want to begin reading in verses 13, and I want to read through, through 17. So this is Galatians 1 at 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for, for the traditions of my fathers. And that's what we looked at last week. Now, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Um, The the paragraph, or at least I think this is more of a pericope, they call it, but um, that is under our examination is 15 through 17. And I'm not real sure that we'll go much beyond verse 15. So let me read you verse 15 again, because that's, um, that's where our concentration will be. Uh, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, um, <clears throat> that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Guys, um, last week I, I opened our little lesson time here by saying that verses 13 and 14 did not contain um, any, it's certainly maybe not much, what you'd call doctrine or theology in verses 13 and 14, but I said to you then that it, um, it, it had a very, um, a very serious point was being made, but it wasn't so much a theological one. Um, and the point that we looked at, I, I, I said to you um, that if any man could have found uh, really a rest in his soul via his own self-righteousness, uh, it would have been the Apostle Paul, and, um, but he couldn't. Um, even after all that he did, you know, and, and um, he, he discovered that, that it was empty, that there was nothing up there. Remember I told the story about Stripes the Caterpillar? You know, I tell that again Sunday morning, too, and I got a lot of mileage out of that story, you know. I might tell it again tonight just because <laughs> that's enough. That's enough. Of story. I, 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 I told you last week that you'd heard the story, and you said you hadn't heard it before. So, well, yeah, what the heck, you know. And, but anyway, and then, and then we fixed our attention over the rest of the evening on this, this little phrase down at the bottom of 14, uh, the tradition of my fathers. And we talked about the Mishnah and the Midrash and... Um, 
comprising the Talmud and, and all that business. And we uh, talked about how uh, it had become a substitute for what God had really said. And um, we looked at that a bit. So my, my point is, I open by saying that those two verses, verses 13 and 14, did not contain what I would suggest is, uh, or would observe, as a great deal of theological content. I want to open tonight by saying that verse 15 is an abject treasure trove of theological insight. Um, It is packed full of doctrinal truth, so much so that if you want to get it all, you're going to have to sign up for my systematics class, my eight-hour systematics class that will be taught in July. If you want everything unpacked out of verse 15 for you, you're going to have to give me a whole lot more time than 35 minutes. Um, but what 35 minutes will allow, we'll, we'll try to... Um, We'll try to uh, mine it. Um, this, th- there's, there's a couple of clauses in verse 15 where all of this um, theological truth resides. The first one um, is in the opening clause of verse 15. But when it pleased God. Oh, boy. Now, let me do a couple of things real quick um, in just terms of housekeeping because I know that so many of you use an um, English standard version of the Bible. Um, and, and, and so that's a wonderful translation. I just finished with it, and then I'll go back to it one day. But um, what I read you out of this New King James is different than what is found in your ESVs. I've got a copy of the ESV. I went and... Uh, took a picture of it. Um, Let me read you out of the ESV. Um, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with with anyone. Um, The the reason I, I draw your attention to this is because the whole idea of God's pleasure in the ESV is tucked into verse 16. Now, guys, I would say that perhaps the ESV is probably an, a more readily understood. It's an easier, it, smooths, um, it flows more smoothly than does the New King James. But I can tell you confidently, looked it up. I mean, I got the little Greek New Testament out, and, and um, the, the idea of God's pleasure is not found in verse 16. It's found in verse 15. Although in the ESV, it is translated and tucked into verse 16. Now, all that the ESV did was rearrange the order of the words. And uh, they did not tamper with the truth that's contained. It's, 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 it's the very same thing as taught in the, in the New King James and the NIV. I, ch- I checked that. Um, b- but when I read it and I say to you, let's look first at this, this clause and when it pleased God... If you've got an ESV out there, you're thinking, wait a minute, that's in verse 16. No, it's not. I promise you. 
Um, it's in verse 15. Now, the ESV has not in any way um, damaged the text. I'm not saying that. They re-sequenced it. And I think it flows better in the ESV, very honestly. All I'm saying to you is that tonight, I'm going to concentrate on this clause that opens verse 15. And it opens verse 15 in the Greek New Testament. I promise you. If, if I need... the, 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 the um, the whole Greek word that you're dealing with is the word eudokason, and it's in verse 15, not verse 16, as you find it in the ESV. All right? With that aside, um, I want to remind you, that, again, this is just kind of housekeeping introductory stuff. The point of his argument in this section of, the, of chapter 1 is to establish the divine origin of his message. Remember, I made a big deal, and a big deal it is. I, I don't think I made too big a deal out of it. Um, in verses 11 and 12, where he says uh, that he received the gospel that he preaches, he received it by via revelation. He didn't get it from anybody. He didn't, uh, no man taught it to him. It was by a revelation through Jesus Christ that he got it. So to establish the truth of that claim, he goes out of his way to try and assure you that he didn't consult with anybody and take a little lesson from Peter and one from Barnabas. And, and you know, he didn't get that. And so what, what he's trying to do is, is to assure you that the origin of the message that he is defending is a divine one. It's a divine origin. Um... In his goal of doing that, as he begins to think through his conversion and what happens to him, it it makes him look back on his whole life, and he starts talking about his life in Judaism, et cetera, et cetera. But he looks back on that whole period of his life, and and he sees it differently. His whole life had been ordered for him. His whole life had been prepared for him to, to, to prepare him for the role that he was going to play as a preacher to the Gentiles. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the first thing I want you to note is that that idea is, is, is a major theme of the Bible in its entirety. That is that my whole life has been ordered for me. It's, um, it's preparing me for the role that I am to play in terms of uh, honoring God and, and, and benefiting his kingdom. And, and I want you to know that that doesn't simply apply to the Apostle Paul. It applies to you too. Um, do, do you understand? I'm, I'm just trying to introduce my, my, my really big line or, or theme tonight. He is, he is trying to establish that his message has a divine origin. And he, when he begins to think about that and write it down in a letter form to Galatians, he, he, he retraces his steps in, in his former life in Judaism. And, and that whole thing now he sees as being a part of what God did to prepare him for his role to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. God's doing this. He did that in Joseph's life. You remember Remember how Joseph was sold into slavery and went down in Potiphar's wife and all that business and ended up, you know, delivering all these people, yada, yada, yada. I mean, I shouldn't say that because it is a glorious story that God is ordering our steps. We make our plans and he orders our steps. 
He's ordering his steps so that he could be prepared to do the job that he wanted him to do, and that is to take the gospel of the Gentiles. That is not simply applicable to the superstars. It's applicable to you as well. Now, you may have, um, you may have done that very poorly. Perhaps all of us have. But, um, th- there is a role that God has for you to play. Um, and I'm going to try to help you find that role before we're done this semester, um, you know, the end of May kind of thing. We're going to do something that I hope will help. Now, guys, again, that was all by way of introduction. Um, l- let's get to the, the heart of the matter. Guys, everybody in here, I think, <clears throat> knows at least a little about um, how Paul became a Christian. You know, he, he goes to the Sanhedrin and he asks for permission to go to Damascus and with letters from them saying, if anybody's a follower of this Jesus, we want to arrest him and bring him back to Jerusalem. And so he's on his way to Damascus and, you know, this Jesus meets him on the road. You know that story. It's recounted for you in, in Acts chapter 9. If you'd like to read it, it's a wonderful story. Knocks him down and, and uh, Jesus says to him, I mean, Saul, Saul, why is it that you're persecuting me? That is, by persecuting my people, you're persecuting me. You touch my people, you touch me. Why are you persecuting me? And, and, and of course, he's blinded. He goes into the town, and, and a guy by the name of Ananias comes by, and these things like uh, scales fall off his eyes, and Paul, uh, within hours, is out preaching the gospel in Damascus. So much so they had to drop him down in a basket to escape because people wanted to kill him. So you know that story, that Acts 9 conversion story of Paul's. So the point is, Paul was brought to Christ based on his outstanding commitment to Judaism, on his stellar morality, and on his circumcision. Does anybody in here believe that? Do you not see how downright laughable that is? How utterly ludicrous it is to make a statement like that? Oh, the reason that Paul was brought is because he had such a wonder. I mean, he was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. Oh, it was because of his, uh, his stellar morality. He was a murderer. Oh, well, it was because he was circumcised. Oh, that's right. That's right. Jesus recognized on his way to Damascus that Paul was circumcised, and so therefore he went out and brought him to himself. That's it, isn't it? Now, ladies and gentlemen, just go back and review what it is that's recorded in Acts chapter 9. What is it that took place in the life of the Apostle Paul on a road that led from Jerusalem to Damascus? You know what happened? I'll tell you what happened. God's pleasure was placed on display. When it pleased God, he went out and he got Paul. When it pleased God, The foundation of the salvation of the Apostle Paul is not his circumcision, nor our baptism, nor our stellar morality, nor our outstanding commitment to the church. 
None of that, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know why you're a saved man or woman tonight? Because it pleased God. That is, that is just... Guys, the foundation of this thing that we say we love so much called grace... The foundation of grace is the pleasure of God. Um, When it pleased God, Paul became a Christian. Guys, salvation happens because of the pleasure of God. A, um, a soul saved is a display of the pleasure of God. The, the reason that Paul was saved is because it pleased God. And the reason that you were saved is because you were baptized. Is that not ludicrous? Is that not ludicrous? And yet, ladies and gentlemen, we have all kinds of folks saying, well, unless you're baptized, you're not going to be. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you why you were saved. It pleased God. Guys, this Bible talks and describes a God who has mercy on whom he will have mercy. God's thoughts of mercy toward Paul began, mm, that was before he was born. That's what the text said. That's what it says. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, so even before I, you know, I came down that birth canal, it pleased God. Um, what Paul deserved was the opposite of what he got. He was an enemy. He was a blasphemer. He was a murderer. And that fellow, who was the enemy and the blasphemer and the murderer, was granted grace. Why? Because it pleased God. (laughs) But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I may preach the good. When it pleased God. Guys, um, why are any of us Christians tonight? Because it pleased God. You know, I've said this a couple of times. Uh, You know, back in the fall, I spent those like four introductory weeks telling you about the the preface of uh, the book of Galatians written by Martin Luther. And I told you about how Martin Luther, um, that preface is taken on a life of its own and there's just so much rich, richness just in the preface. But, I, and, but I've said this a couple of times. I think one of the reasons that, that Luther loved the book of Galatians and he called it his favorite. The, the reason that Luther loved the book of Galatians is because he had a similar testimony to that of Paul's. Um... Luther was outwardly chaste. He was obedient. 
but inwardly he was a blasphemer. Um, in fact, after he became a Christian, he called his righteousness, I love this, he called his righteousness a filthy little puddle. How many of you know the name John Huss? You know that name? Um, you know, we, we attribute the, the, the Protestant Reformation to, um, to Martin Luther, and rightly so. But um, if you, if you want to read something interesting, just Google John Huss, and you'll find that some of the language that is so famously attached to Martin Luther is language that was used first by John Huss. John Huss was a Czech. Uh, he fought the, and by the way, a hundred years, a hundred years before uh, Martin Luther, uh, well, it was, he, he died in 1415, something like that. But a hundred years, John Huss was fighting the Roman Catholic Church over many of the same issues. And when they asked him to recant, you know what he said? Here I stand. Hmm. I wonder where Martin Luther got that. He said a lot of things that Martin Luther said that are so famous. But, they, but they, they, they find their origin, you can trace their origin back to this John Huss guy. Have you ever been to Prague? There's this wonderful square in the center of this, it's not the center of the, but it's in the city, it's this, this square where they got the clock and all this business. But there's a church that's right there on the square and it's called the Hussite Church. And it was, a, it was the church that was, it was a denomination founded by the Hussites. They were, they'd take their, their, their um, origin all the way back to John Huss. But the, the point is this. Martin Luther, as a Roman Catholic, said about John Huss, he was a cursed heretic. And then he went on to say, and I'm quoting, I would have, oh, by the way, I need to stop. Uh, John Huss, because of his uh, offense with the Roman Catholic Church, was burned at the stake in July of 1415. <laughs> and in fact, um, they gave him a chance while, the, while, the, while he was in the middle of the wood and the, the straw they gave him a chance to, re- to recant, and he said, not interested. So they burned him. Uh, he was quoting Wycliffe. You know, Wycliffe was also burned at the stake, um, but it was before John Huss. But, I mean, uh, you know, he was burned at the stake. Anyway, 100 years later, Martin Luther is this Roman Catholic dude, and, and Martin Luther said about John Huss, I would have gladly furnished the wood to burn him. The only point I'm making, ladies and gentlemen, is the reason that Martin Luther was so attracted to this book is because his testimony mirrored that of the Apostle Paul's. Paul was the one holding all the the, the garments when they were stoning Stephen. He was dragging people from Damascus so they could be killed in Jerusalem. And Luther looks at that and says, my gosh, that guy found grace. And so did I. Why? Why? Because it pleased God. <laughs> Do you know that's what you are? Do you know that you're, when you're sitting here tonight, you know what you are? You're an expression of the pleasure of God. He found it pleasing to save you. You! He found it a pleasure. Guys, he does, the, the language in the, in the text, he says, um, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, even before I'm born, God begins this work. Now, guys, I want to introduce you to a word that um, you may not have ever seen before. 
Yeah. Um, I'm trying to repent. Oh, that's much better. <laughs> you ever seen that word before, prevenient? Guys, do you know that, I don't know about you. I can't speak for you. But what that text teaches and what I believe in and Eddie Butozer believes in, which I'm about to read in a minute, but we believed in a grace that was prevenient. It's called prevenient grace. You know what that is? You ever heard of that? Let me just, let me read you from Tozer. You know the name Tozer? He, he was quite a dude. Um, this is a little collection, The Best of Tozer. Um, Tozer's in print, you know, 40 times. But this is just various chapters taken out of his, you know, his books. But this is in chapter 1. <clears throat> the chapter 1 in this book, at least. And uh, the title of it is um, Following Hard After God. Let me read you just a little bit of this. Christian theology teaches the doctrine of prevenient grace. Woo-hoo. Dr. Young got that right. How about that? He agrees with Tozer. And, and as I do, I, I do. But uh, Christian theology teaches the doctrine of prevenient grace, which briefly stated it means this. Listen. That before a man can seek God, God must first have sought the man. Don't you love that? Do you know why God sought you? Because it pleased him. Your salvation is bound up in the fact that the great heart of God found pleasure in saving you. Oh, but I'm so broken and inconsistent and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we are, every one of us. But there was a, can I read a little more? This is just such good stuff. Um, Before a sinful man can think a right thought of God, yeah, well, just one. Before somebody unregenerate can think a right thought of God, there must have been a work of enlightenment done within him. (laughs) How about that? Imperfect as it may be, but a true work nonetheless, and the secret cause of all desiring and seeking and praying which may follow. We pursue God. We pursue God because and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to this pursuit. (laughs) That's called prevenient grace, ladies and gentlemen. That's what Paul is pointing to in verse 15 of Galatians chapter 1. Guys, if if you'd like a nice little word to help you remember, uh, to to impress your friends, because now you know a new term called prevenient, just, just think of this word. Previous. Tozer says, God is always previous. (laughs) You know, guys, um, time flies when you're having a good time. I'm having a wonderful time. I know you're bored stiff, but I'm having a wonderful time. Um, 
uh, the story um, in Genesis 3. You know that story. Uh, Adam and Eve kind of blew it. I mean, really big time blew it. And then as a result of their having blown it, they, 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 they go to the other side of the garden and they build an altar where they, where they begin to uh, uh, offer sacrifices, begging God to forgive them. Right? Wrong. They didn't do that. What they did, as you know, is they said, oh, honey, we are in trouble. And so they take some fig leaves. How creative of them. And they sewed them together. They're, they're kind of like the first bathing suit. But their fig leaves were much bigger than our bathing suits these days. Um, <laughs> so they sew these fig leaves together. And, um, and then they hear something. Oh, oh, kalump, kalump, kalump. And, and, and Adam turns to Eve and says, Madam, um, we best hide. So they hid. You know that story, don't you? And so God comes and snatches them out of their hiding places. And as a result of all that's said there, you know, the chapter closes with, um, with God covering their nakedness with animal skins, which means that an animal had to be sacrificed so that they could get those skins. And who did all that? Oh, that was this God who is always previous. Why did he do that? Because it pleased him. It pleased him. I'll tell you another story. You know the story, uh, the, uh, the parable of the four soils? I love this. I wish, I mean, I, I, I bet you you're going to hear something new here. I mean, I bet you, but I, I just, the, the four soils. You know what? The, the sower goes out to sow and he takes the seed and he shows, you get it around, you know, and having a big time. And, and some falls on a, on a path that's, you know, beaten down. And, and so the birds come and swoop in and they eat that up. And, and then Jesus says, well, that was the devil who did that. And then, then they, some fell on rocky soil and it, you know, it sprung up and it, the sun comes out and burns it up. And, uh, you know, it, it withers away. And then, then the third soil, some finds on, uh, lands on thorny soil and, and it springs up. But, but then persecution and, and the cares of the world arise and so it shrivels away and it goes away. And then some of the seed fell on good soil. Here's my question to you, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready? How did the good soil get good? <laughs> huh? Was it, was it, oh, well, there's some fine people down there in Palestine. And, oh, well, when I start throwing this seed out, I mean, this seed will, you know, it'll land on some really, some of those fine, upstanding, you know, they've been baptized. Oh, no, they've been, circ- yeah, they, went through, they went to Gracie Van over there in Germany. Now, they're fine folk. They got some, they got some nice, nice soil, those, those, those Gracie Van. Is that what happened? Is that how the good soil got good? No, ladies and gentlemen, that's not how it happened. The good soil got good because the God of pervenient grace came and made it good so it would receive the the word being sowed. That's how the good soil got good. You know why you responded the way you responded to the preaching of the gospel? Because it pleased God to show up and prepare your soil. That's what he did. 
You know why you got good soil that produced 120? Because it pleased him. This whole salvation thing, ladies and gentlemen, it ain't about you. Oh, if we could just get... I'm trying to think of somebody. Um, Who's the quarterback for the Patriots? Tom Brady. If we could just get Tom Brady saved. Mm. That would do it. I mean, everybody, everybody would really respond wonderfully then. No, ladies and gentlemen. No. No Tom Brady's, no Elvis Presley's, no Michael Jackson's, no Jennifer Aniston's, no Hunger Games queen, whatever her name is, Jennifer Lawrence. None of them are going to respond until. I'm not saying they won't. I'm just saying they won't until a God of provenient grace goes and enriches the soil so that it can respond the way it ought to respond in repentance and faith. This God who saved us, ladies and gentlemen, did so according to his own good pleasure. You okay with that? Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's the only God that, that, that you can ever call sovereign. The one who displays his pleasure by saving people as broken as we are. <laughs> Isn't that something? Ain't that a gospel to preach? By the way, ladies and gentlemen, I would say this to you. The only love that I can count on is a love that has its origin in the great heart of God. The only reason that I know I'm safe is because this thing originated in the heart of God and that is something on which I can bank my eternity. Now guys, I'm going to quit two minutes early. But we haven't even gotten to the part about him saying, and called me through his grace. If you want the rest of this stuff, ladies and gentlemen, sometime in July, you and I ought to spend about eight hours together. Because it's, it's a gospel that's far better news than you ever dreamed. Let's quit. Father, it's my privilege to talk about you. Oh, that I have talked about you aright. And if I have not, would you close the ears of every, every hearer here? But if I, have, if I have said that which is true to your word, would you bless it to our, our refreshment, to our enjoyment, to our to our certainty, to our comfort, to think that we are saved men and women as expressions 
of the great pleasure of God. Oh, might we bring you more pleasure in responding in obedience, in responding in holy living, in responding in Christ-likeness as we find ourselves overwhelmed by the beauty of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. We ask it, of course, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you and good night.